tonight. And uh, where is my word pointer? Uh-oh. Well, Peter, how about you grab a hymn book, 426? As we get started tonight, here we go. Far away the noise of strife upon my ear is falling. Then I know the sins of earth beset on every hand. Doubt and fear and things of earth in vain to me are calling. None of these shall move me from you, Lawland. I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. Praise God, I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I'm feasting on the manna from the bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Beulahland, far below the storm of doubt upon the world is beating. Guns of men in battle long the enemy withstand. Safe am I within the castle of God's word retreating. Nothing then can reach me, tis Beulahland. I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. I, okay, wait a minute. Mm -mm. I dropped out just to see what you would do. That was the world's lousiest praise God I think I've ever heard at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. I mean, it's right there in the hymn book. We got over. Let's pick up with that course and let's try. Can't, can't we praise God tonight? Amen. All right, let's try it out. I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. Praise God, I'm drinking. That's a little better. Fountain. That never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I'm feasting on the manna from the bountiful supply. For I am dwelling in Beulahland. Let the stormy breezes blow. Their cry cannot alarm me. I am safely sheltered here, protected by God's hand. Here the sun is always shining, here there's not can harm me. I am safe forever, Lawland. I'm living on the mountain. Underneath a cloudless sky, praise God, I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I'm feasting on the manna from the bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Beulah And on that last viewing here, the works of God I sink in contemplation, hearing how his blessed voice I see the way he planned. 
dwelling in the Spirit, here I learn a full salvation. Gladly will I carry in I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. I'm drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I'm feasting on the manna from the bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Let's turn over to page 633. Grab your Bibles. Hold the fort. Amen. 633. Oh, my comrades, see the signal waving in the sky. Reinforcements now appearing. Victory is nigh. Hold the fort for I am Coming, Jesus, signal still. Wave the answer back to heaven. By thy grace we will. See the mighty host advancing, Satan leading on. Mighty men around us falling, courage almost gone. Hold the fort, for I am coming, Jesus, signal still. Wave the answer back to heaven, by thy grace we will. On that last fierce and long the battle rages, but our help is near. Onward comes our great commander, cheer my comrades, cheer. Hold the fort, for I am coming, Jesus, signal still. Wave the answer back to heaven, by thy grace we will. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night which we can assemble together in your name. Lord, we thank you so much for this book called the Bible that gives us strength and grace and understanding that we may stand in these evil days. Lord, we just ask for your blessing upon this service tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I wanted to take just a few minutes tonight. And, of course, before I forget, we're glad that, uh, boy, my brain is not working. I know it's Jimmy and Julie. There we go. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Uh, it's uh, dust on the brain from all this work going around here. But uh, the track work is finished in the basement. And uh, tonight, if we can pick a color... Uh, we should have the curtains installed in about six to eight weeks, and if everything else goes well, we'll be completely done uh, in uh, six to eight weeks. And I have no idea where the ringing is coming from. Um, somebody have a hearing aid. There we go. There we go. So uh, if we could take just a minute here and... Uh, 
get an approval on a few things. Um, most everybody, let's see, has seen this, but uh, how you like this for downstairs? Does everybody like this? Does anybody hate it? Uh, we can get this. This is a carpet for the basement. Uh, we can get this at $10 a square yard, which I'm holding a square yard right here. And um, normally this stuff is about $40 a square yard. It is the toughest that you can buy. Uh, when it says wear rating on the computer website, it says severe. I figured that's got our name on it. Amen. And uh, you could spill a cup of coffee on this. And uh, you wouldn't know that it was there because it's uh, got a design. Amen. And uh, Brother Gary, with your approval, we were thinking about replacing the stained up carpet in the, in the chapel as well. And uh, that'll cost us just a little bit extra and uh, things will be really nice and we'll get some extra. And then if some horrible catastrophe happens and we uh, misuse, abuse and destroy a piece, you just rip it up and put another one down, amen? And so, uh, Lord willing, this will last, And but it's going to be uh, $10 a square yard, 288 square yards downstairs, about 24 square yards upstairs, a little bit of extra, depending on how much per piece is per case. We're probably looking at $3,200, $3,500 for carpet. Um, just to give you an idea, hire that job out, and you're looking at 10000 bucks. But uh, you can still go broke saving money like that. So um, we need, uh, I guess, uh, can, can we have approval to buy the carpet? All in favor? Any opposed? Okay. Uh, I don't know if we did this, but the doors, um, the fire doors are going to cost a total of about, uh, it's going to be just under $1,800 uh, because I forgot to get the windows put in the doors so you can see through and tell that there's a service going on and be quiet in the lobby and all of that. Um, can we have approval to get the doors, please? We've already ordered them, but uh, we need to pay for them. And um, then it's kind of hard to see this but I had Brother Saravi and several other people look at it. Um, we were plan thinking about painting the walls downstairs the same color as the lobby, which is a nice white. And then the partition walls, I don't know if you can see this or not, would be almost exactly the same color. So when they fold up, you won't even see the walls, the movable walls against the real wall. And you say, that's kind of bland, but we found this color right here to kind of just dress everything up. So I don't know if you can see that with the fingers or something, but um, let me see. There you go. Can you see those colors? It's kind of nice. Um, that's going to be the trim and the accents, like the door frames. And we're going to try to do a couple little fluted columns and some things around the entryway and the the platform and the windows and and uh, if nobody puts up a big fuss the old pews that we can't use up here we're probably going to cut them up and make window boxes out of them 
which will really look nice when it's all done, solid oak, and it won't cost us anything but a little time, and where if we had those things made commercially, it would cost us literally thousands of dollars just to buy the wood. And uh, we have the wood. We don't have a place to put it, so we might as well cut it up and use it. Amen? And um, so um, if we can agree that the, the white, it, it just is the safest color. If anything changes downstairs over the years, everything goes with white vinyl. And uh, it'll be easy to clean and maintain and all of that. And we can order the, um, I'll call the guy tomorrow. We can put in the final order and he'll start making the curtains. And as soon as they're done, the guys will come back, put them in. And uh, we should have this whole thing done sometime early in the month of May which would be absolutely wonderful because we have the Heartland class starting in June and uh, would like a little bit of time to get ready for that. So is, is there any questions about that? And uh, um, I put all these colors by Brother and Mrs. Saravia and their church last night because they're the people that live down there. We're just down there for special occasions. And so I figured I'd just show you everything and... Um, Let's see. Probably need permission, yes, to uh, purchase the ceiling for downstairs. It'll be drop tile, very similar to this right above us. Just a little whiter, that's all. Because this has been up there for 20 years, and it's no longer the color it was when it started out. But uh, And that's probably going to be, again, I don't have the exact pricing, but figure... Uh, somewhere around four thousand to five thousand dollars for the ceiling because we have to put a ceiling in the bathrooms in the lobby in the basement I mean in the big room in the basement and everything's got to be engineered properly you can't just put screws in the ceiling and wire it in place that would get us in trouble with the building code so can we have an approval for that as well okay um, Somebody asked where the money is coming from. It is a combination. Uh, out of the general offerings in the past two months, we've paid off about $6,000 in expenses. Uh, we still have 47, well, no, not 47, 47 minus 12, which would be 35. Is that right? Yes. We still have $35,000 in the bank, that's $35,000 loan money, and uh, about 8000 or so of that is the thing. We've paid $10,000 on the partitions. We still owe about twenty on those partitions. And then uh, with these last two purchases of, it's going to be about, $8,8500 altogether will will be done all the major purchases it'll just be a couple buckets of paint for 100 bucket 100 and 120 dollars a bucket and different things like that miscellaneous little things so we're we're getting to the end of the spending for which I am absolutely pleased and uh, it's it's going to be right about where we said the total budget's going to come in uh, under uh, about $50,000, we said 
35 we borrowed. We had about nine in the bank, and the rest we're going to make up out of the offerings, and we're right on target. So please don't change your giving unless you want to give more. Amen? And uh, we're, we're moving in the right direction. We're paying all the bills. Uh, our loan, we've already paid down $5,000 in principal on the $35,000 loan in four months, which is we're making extra payments on top of paying the credit cards and purchasing different things. And so um, we're, 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 do, we're getting it done, amen? And uh, gentlemen, uh, when it comes to the ceiling and some of these other jobs, and especially scraping up the carpet, uh, we'll be calling on you. Uh, and by the way, the container is gone 30 cubic yards of trash. That is 8 foot wide, 8 foot tall, and 30 feet long. And uh, five of us loaded that thing, thanks to Brother Gary. He, he made it all work there. Uh, no. Uh, all of us working together very much. Uh, we had uh, Brother Shaw was there, Brother Gary, uh, myself, and then Brother Joseph. And uh, who was the other guinea pig? I'm trying. Oh, Brett was there. And uh, we, we loaded that whole thing in about five hours. They came and got it the same day. Nobody got hurt, and we just thanked the Lord for that. And uh, I told Ted and Franz, I said, you guys better pray hard because if this container is still here when you come for mint, you're going to be loading container. And uh, apparently they can pray because that thing was done. And so we praise the Lord for that. Things are, things are going fairly well. I mean, really well. Uh, uh, there's not near as much work to do to the floor to level it out as we thought we would need. And... Uh, just figured I'd take a few moments and give you a report and get the final approvals for the last major purchases. Um, somebody said, well, the Spanish church needs to uh, make, make sure they're the most happy because they're down there every Sunday. I said, yeah, but our people need to be happy too because they're paying for it. And uh, so uh, we honestly did not have a ton of choices in carpet colors and things. Uh, because of what's available through the company store. We're, we're getting the same price from Millican as Millican employees get, uh, which is a tremendous discount. It's, it's not half off. It's like three-quarters off. And uh, so uh, we uh, praise the Lord. He's opened these doors for us. And uh, when it gets done, everybody's going to say, hey, can we move them up here and go downstairs? And uh, the answer will be no. Uh, we're going to stay right here. But uh, once we pay off all these bills, maybe we'll start doing a little more work up here. And we'll just see what the Lord's going to do. Amen. And uh, one of the things is we, God's given us this building. We want to be good stewards of it. And uh, we want to make it a place that, uh, that the world would recognize as being taken care of properly. It's a good testimony to the Lord. It's a good testimony as Christians. And so we want to, to do that. I think the uh, exterminator was here this week, and he was just blubbering all over himself about how nice the tile was and how great a job we were doing taking care of this building, and he, he just couldn't believe it. It's a good testimony, amen? And uh, so 
there is a purpose to the work, and so we praise the Lord for it. All right. All done? How about we do blessed assurance? Amen. Page number 51. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. On the last perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. Sing it out. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Amen. And you may be seated. And I'll kick that out at the very end of the service there, and you can look at all the colors, and hopefully you'll like them as well as everybody else's. Has and uh, but uh, the first of what we envision to be many weeks in the book of Hebrews, uh, I want you to start right at the proper place, the last chapter. Amen. Now, how many of you, when you pick up a book, you go back and read the last two or three chapters first, and then go back and read the whole book? Does anybody else do that? You say, no, that's cheating, and. Uh, but uh, what we're going to do is we're going to start in the last chapter tonight. We're going to get an overview here uh, of the entire scope of the book. And one of the things that we talk about as we study the Bible, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And as we was preparing to overview this subject, I said, boy, you know, uh, tonight, it's a very simple outline, the purpose of the book, the place of the book, and the power of the book. And I mean, Hebrews is, uh, it is a key book. It is the cornerstone, really, or um, how many people know what a keystone is? Half a dozen, okay. Uh, if you've ever seen one of those old stone arches, have you ever wondered what makes the arch stand up without falling down? Well, you bring that arch up on both sides, and in the center of the arch is a stone that's cut upside down. That is the keystone. And that arch transfers the weight, and it leans to the center. 
it's gonna, if you took that keystone out, the arch would just come right down in the middle. You put that keystone in there and the arch supports itself and a great deal of weight above it. And an arch will support more weight than a straight column will because it transfers that weight and spreads it out on the way down. And, and really, if we want to uh, take that picture, that's what Hebrews is to our Bible. It is the keystone. It is the one that holds it all together and allows us to understand our Bible. If we did not have the book of Hebrews, over half your Bible would be nothing but a bunch of nice stories. We would not have the connections that we do today between the Old Testament tabernacle and our daily living and our relationship with God. We would not have an understanding of biblical prophecy uh, that, that we do today if it were not for this book called the book of Hebrews. And uh, it's absolutely amazing how much time people spend arguing about who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, in, in the beginning on the first page, it'll say the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. But I, I challenge you, do you find Paul's name anywhere in the book of Hebrews? It's not there. Timothy's name's there. Whoever wrote the book was talking about Timothy. And most of us believe and we would uh, do no wrong in saying that probably Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. But does it really matter? How much closer are you going to be to Christ because you know that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews? How much better are you going to be able to serve Christ knowing that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews and not Barnabas or not Timothy or not Silas or not somebody else. Are you going to be greatly enriched by that fact? So we're not going to spend any time at all other than what we just did trying to figure out who wrote the book because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And as long as God gave it, that's all we need to know. Amen? We got pretty good amen on that. Let's try that again. Amen? amen. I mean, we've got to work on this amen stuff, all right? And uh, uh, we're going to start in verse 20. Now, here is the purpose of the book of Hebrews. Now, the God of peace... Oh, by the way, can we just stop right there? The God of peace. I thought Islam was a religion of peace. Isn't that what they said? You know, that's why they're trying to cut that guy in little pieces in Afghanistan. Uh, I'll tell you what, their God ain't my God. It's not a, Islam is not a religion of peace, but this book called the Bible sure is. This is where you're going to find peace, amen? You're going to find peace with God. You're going to find the peace of God. And when you have the peace of God and the peace and peace with God, guess what? There's not too many other people you won't have peace with except those who fight against God. Oh. Well, that puts Islam on the wrong side, doesn't it? Oh, well. Uh, we knew that anyway. We didn't need that to figure that out, did we? It's the, peace, it's the God of peace. Now, look what he wants to do. Now, the God of peace 
that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now, this is the introduction. This is the God of peace that brought back, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now, it tells us a little bit about our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood. How? Of an everlasting covenant. Now, right there you have the outline of the book of Hebrews. God's revelation to mankind. That's why I call this study the book of understanding. Because the book of Hebrews allows us to understand why God is so interested in this thing called blood. Uh, people have talked about the Bible and they said, oh, the Bible's a bloody book. It's, it's, full, it's a slaughterhouse religion. And uh, that's a blasphemous statement, number one. But let me tell you, uh, what was it? When Solomon dedicated the temple, I think it was 120,000 sheep and all kinds. I mean, there's not very many slaughterhouses that go through 120,000 sheep in one day. They did in sacrifice to God. There's a lot of blood in this book called the Bible. And yet in the book of Hebrews, we see the reason why God kept that flow of blood from the day that they, Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden the whole way through is because He had His Son come and give us a covenant through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now that word everlasting is a great word, is it not? It means without end. The covenant that God wants between you and I is a covenant with no end. His covenant that He made with Abraham, guess what? It has no end. Amen? And it is that same covenant that Jesus Christ fulfilled when He shed His blood on the cross. Now, our Protestant theologian brethren, they want to divide the Bible up into two covenants, the covenant of law and the covenant of grace. And uh, some of our dispensational brethren want to chop this Bible up into so many little pieces that you couldn't find a verse of Scripture that would help you through a problem if you had a magnifying glass. And, and neither one of them are right. There is an everlasting covenant that's sealed in Jesus' blood that was started before the foundation of the world, before the worlds began. God ordained all of these things. God is not getting out a deck of cards and dealing out, oh, that was a bad hand, let's start over again. I mean, you read some theological textbooks and you would think that's the kind of God that's in this book called the Bible. And that's simply not true. It is the blood of the everlasting covenant. It was shed once, by the way. We'll get to that in Hebrews chapter 9. He makes it pretty plain there. But this is what God wants to do. Now, the God of peace, all of that rests. Now, the book of Hebrews, if you're a grammarian, if you're a, uh, I don't think they call them grammaticians, do they? Um, 
something in between a grammatician and a grammarian, and I don't, I'm sorry there, Julie, on that, but uh, uh, if you like the words uh, and you like complicated sentence structure, you're going to love the book of Hebrews. It is full of massively complex sentences. And uh, that means it takes a little time to work on it. All of what we just read in verse 20 is just describing the God of peace. Amen? Now, here's what the God of peace is going to do in verse 21. And this is the purpose of this book. Make you perfect in every good work. Now, most of us would like to stop with the word perfect. Does anybody remember that? Stupid song they had, I'm, I'm, I'm Almost Perfect in Every Way. Uh, it was some old country song from the 70s, I think. Uh, that's it. She remembers it. It's hard to be humble when you're per- nearly perfect in every way. It was, it was a real song. They played it all the time. And, uh, of course, the guy was so perfect that he couldn't find a girlfriend. He couldn't do anything else. But, I mean... When he looked in the mirror, that's all he saw was near perfection. And uh, that's not what it's talking about here, all right? And we get this other idea of perfection. We, we live in an age of electron microscopes. And uh, I love the story. Hope you don't mind hearing it again. But uh, this group of American engineers built what they deemed the world's smallest drill bit. They had carefully machined this and put it in its little box. And, of course, you had to put it under uh, uh, a a huge magnifying glass to see this thing. A microscope wouldn't work because the light doesn't pass through a drill bit. And they sent it to the German engineers and said, look what we did. Well, the Germans drilled a hole in the world's smallest drill bit and then put threads inside the hole of the wor- inside the world's smallest drill bit and sent it back and said, uh, try again. And, uh, and they think, that's perfection, you know. Mm-mm. The word perfect. You see, our King James Bible was translated before lawyers destroyed our language. It was done before the age of contracts. It was when the English language said what it meant and meant what it said. The word perfect simply means not missing anything. Complete. You see, we look at it and we say, I can't be perfect. How many of you sinned this week? My hand is up to show you what you ought to do if you've sinned this week. Now, come on, let's be honest here. Everybody's hand in here ought to go up. We've all sinned this week, so none of us are perfect. So we can't achieve perfection. So therefore, uh, the Bible really is not talking about that because none of us can get there. So we've got our excuse. Now we can go out and just live the way we want. Is that what this verse is talking about? That's the way most people use it. They twist it around to make an excuse for their humanity. God says, listen, I've given you these words because 
I want you to be perfect. How? In every good work. In every good work. God is interested in what we do. God is going to hold us accountable for our obedience to His Word. And when we stand before that throne and God throws the light of His holiness upon the history of our life, He doesn't want there to be some huge hole there. He wants us to be perfect in every good work. Now let's read the rest of it. To do His will. working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now that is the purpose of the book of Hebrews. The writer is summing everything up here at the end of the book. You see, now I want the God of peace who's done all of these things through the blood of the everlasting covenant to make you perfect in every good work to do His will. Now, if I were to ask a question, how many of you want God's perfect will for your life? Every honest and every halfway honest person would raise their hand saying, I want God's will in my life. Well, let me ask you something. What if you knew that will meant suffering? And I, I don't mean just a little sadness or skinning your knee on the sidewalk. I mean suffering would you still want God's will what if it meant you were going to lose everything you possess think about this fellow that's on trial in Afghanistan how would you like to sit in a courtroom while the judge talks about cutting you up into little pieces I mean, that's, that's what's going on there. And, and they've come up with an absolutely brilliant thing. He said the only thing that might save them is an insanity defense because you'd have to be insane to leave Islam to become a Christian. Well, uh, last time I checked, committing suicide has always been treated as part of insanity. Amen? hasn't it? When you think suicidal thoughts, what happens? Woo, woo, woo. The little guys in the white suits, they come and they put a needle in your arm and make you feel good and take you to a nice place where everybody talks to you really nice and nobody wants to offend you. They put you in a psych ward when you talk about suicide. But this religion... The God of this religion says suicide is a very good thing. Now, the Bible says revile not the God, so I'm not going to say anything bad about the character and thought processes of the God of Islam, uh, but I think you can make the connection all on your own, amen? Uh, there's something wrong with a God that demands insanity on the part of his believers. And yet they say you'd have to be insane to leave insanity, to 
to accept reality. You know, this Bible's real simple compared to that now, isn't it? God says, I want you to be perfect in every good work, to do His will. It says, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight. Now, we could go around and we could give testimonies of what people used to be before they met Jesus Christ. We have people in this room that did all kinds of unmentionable things before they met Jesus Christ. And He cleaned them up. He made their life well pleasing in His sight. I love the story of the of the man that argued with Mr. Huxley and just said, you've got all the answers, you've got the great arguments, you've got the great mind, but show me one person that your theology has changed. And I'll bring a thousand that this old book called the Bible has changed. That's what God wants to do. You know what? God also... How many of us have tripped up since we've been saved? I mean messed up. After salvation. You know, the difference between an unsaved person and a saved person is only one. The unsaved person is overcome by sin. The saved person battles with it. Now, I don't say always wins because the saved person doesn't always win down through there. But they always battle. The just man falleth seven times and what? Riseth yet again. But the wicked fall into perdition. That's what this verse is talking about. It's saying, listen, make you perfect in every good work to do His will. When it is done, when your life is over, if God says you have done His will, you have the greatest accomplishment a human being can have. Amen? It says here, working in you that which is well-pleasing. Praise God, it doesn't say in your sight. Amen? It says in His sight. I've actually dealt with some people over the years and, and, and they said, well, my husband or my wife or my son or whoever it was, they got saved. They're worse now than when they were living in sin. I said, oh, you'd rather have the whoremongering drug addict than you would somebody that wants to go to church every service. Now, they can't answer yes to that, but you can tell by the look in that face and what's going on where the gears are turning and the smoke is rising that that's really what they'd prefer. It's well-pleasing in His sight. Amen? Don't use God as an excuse to try to satisfy your pervian desires. You know, one of the things God saved Pete Montoro from was Pete Montoro. Any person left to themselves will destroy themselves. It is the natural intent of a wicked and perverted human heart that you were born with. 
You ever wonder why God doesn't let you win the lottery and why gambling's a sin? It's because if you could do everything you wanted to do, you would destroy yourself. And right here it says, listen, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, how? Through Jesus Christ. And here's the best part of the whole thing. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. To whom be glory. Have you ever thought about this? The Creator, God of the universe, wants your life, wants my life, to bring glory to His name. Does that make sense to you? Why would the Creator God of the universe even care about who I am? Or who you are? I mean, let's look around a minute. Is there anybody in this room that's somebody? As far as the world is concerned? When was the last time your name was on the front page of the New York Times? Hmm? Not in this lifetime. Most of us, we could live a hundred of them and our name would never be there unless you did some horrendously horrible thing and was on the uh, I just got caught section or something like that. Uh, that's the only hope we'd ever have of making the front page because we're nobody as far as the world is concerned. But God says, I want to use you to bring glory to my name. Now, if that doesn't astound you, humble you, scare you right out of your shoes, make you understand how great and how loving our God is, I don't know what will. He wants to use us. And by the way, there's nothing in us that he can use. So he's got to put Jesus in us to get the thing done. Now, in this renovation work in the building, I can give you many, many examples of things that were in this building that once served a purpose. And uh, most of them got loaded on the dumpster uh, Tuesday morning. You know why? Because it wasn't worth the effort to fix them. Yet what does God do? He lets us be born again. He starts all over. Wow. Isn't that cool? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that encouraging? It's an everlasting covenant. You can't mess up bad enough to break it. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Amen. I mean, got to get a hold of it. This is what the book of Hebrews is about. God wants to make you and I worthy of being with Him in heaven. And if that can't get you excited, your exciter's done busted. But I know somebody will fix it, amen? Now, that's the purpose of this book. You want to get excited about the things of God and God working in your life, you study the book of Hebrews. Now, if you're studying the book of Hebrews for any other purpose, we just finished a little section in the Mint reviewing uh, understanding the Bible and studying the Bible. And 
and uh, we've gone over this, and, and uh, I'm rather repetitious, I know, but uh, uh, I don't get it the first 20 times, and uh, you probably don't either, so we're just going to keep going over. And over. The whole purpose of the Bible is to allow us, number one, to be saved, and number two, to learn how to live for God, to prepare for heaven. And that's what this book of Hebrews is all about. If you study it for any other reason, you're wasting your time in the book of Hebrews. You want to be Mr. So Smart that knows everything and all the little nuances and can sit here and argue Dr. Lightfoot and, and Dr. No Foot and Dr. Refoot and uh, Dr. Stinky Foot and all the others that are in there. I don't know. I mean, they're just, just say a bunch of worthless names. Amen. Um, I'll tell you, I get tired of reading books that do nothing but quote other people. I want to read a book that talks about God. Amen? That's the purpose. Now, here's the place. Look at verse 22. It says, And I beseech you, brethren... Now, that word beseech is the strongest word, was the strongest word in the English language, for urgently plead. It is begging you, it is asking you with all earnestness. Now, here's what he asks you. Suffer the word of exhortation. You know, that's one of the hardest things to do. None of us want to spend any time and don't spend any time more than necessary examining what's wrong with your life, all right? Exhortation is blame expressed to the face. It is saying, this is what you need to do and you're not doing it. Now, they, the world has a saying, behind every great man, there's a woman kicking him in the right direction, right? Something like that. And, you know, we have fun with that, and, and I'll be the first to tell you that, that uh, I'd say 80% of my ministry is a direct benefit of the wife I have. But what I'm telling you here is none of us like to hear what's wrong with us. The place of this book is to exhort you. This, this book is the swift kick in the backside that all of us need from time to time. And by the way... Uh, uh, our, our wives, our children, ourselves, everybody in here, none of us is accepted. We do not naturally want to do the right thing. That's why we need exhortation. Amen? And this book says, suffer, suffer the word of exhortation. You know what that word suffer means? Listen and like it anyway. 
This is your broccoli, all right? Or steamed asparagus or overcooked okra. Uh, whatever is really... Uh, it, it's all good for you, isn't it? But we need those things. There are going to be some things in this study that none of us are going to enjoy. We are going to get exhorted. And I'll tell you what usually happens when we start getting into exhortation. <laughs> Pastor... I'm sick. <laughs> I can't come tonight. Or Sunday. Well, Pastor, I just, I'm just i so tired at work, I couldn't make it. Hey, uh, the place of this book is to suffer the word of exhortation, all right? How many of you make that challenge to say, I'm going to suffer through this study even if it takes 18 months, all right? Can we do that? Will you suffer with me, all right? Because we need to be exhorted. That's the place of this book. It's exhortation. And if you study the book of Hebrews, as most people study the book of Hebrews, to find out all kinds of interesting little tidbits that I can argue with my friends about, you have wasted anything you've learned from the book of Hebrews. It is a book of exhortation. Now, here's what he says. Now, I love... Whoever this writer was, he's just absolutely incredible. And then we know the Holy Spirit's responsible. He says, For I have written a letter unto you in few words. He said, Listen, suffer this exhortation because you ain't heard half of it, buddy. I could tell you a whole lot more. But I've only given you what the Holy Spirit wants you to have. It's just a few words. I mean, the book of Hebrews. Let's count up the pages here. 293 to 306. That's 13 pages. And two of them are half pages in my Bible. So about 12 pages in your Bible. Yeah, something like that. Maybe 13. It's not a lot. It's not the longest book in the New Testament by a long shot. But it says, Suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in a few words. I just praise the Lord. He didn't say it all. Amen? You wouldn't be able to carry the book around. He said, I'm exhorting you. And that's, that's the, that is the place of this book in your life. I will tell you a thorough examination of the contents of this book will change the way you walk, the way you act around your co-workers, the way you uh, exert yourself in, your, in the world in which you live, the way you think and the way you talk and the way you walk. It will change you. That's the place of this book. Suffer the word of exhortation. Amen. And now I just want to spend a few minutes and we're going to breeze over this last one. We're going to end on time. Uh, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to talk just a few moments about the power of this book. Verse 12. If you have not memorized these verses, you need to put them in your heart. 
For the word of God is what? Quick. Now that doesn't mean fast. That means living. For the word of God is quick, is living, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now we're going to come back to this verse. But could you imagine the dividing line between soul and spirit? How would you like to be, have to cut that line without hurting anything? This book cuts a fine line, my friend. And by the way, if you've ever had to undergo surgery, you don't want the doctor using one of those, uh, what was it, uh, Ginkgo Express serrated blades that you can cut through a Coke can and then slice a tomato. It, uh, it doesn't slice the tomato. It, it literally tears the thing in half. You would be six months recovering from the wound. They, they cut with a very fine line. In fact, they're cutting now with lasers as much as they can because it cuts an even finer line than any knife blade known to man. Because the straighter the line and the cleaner the cut, the faster you heal. Now, God's going to do some operating as we go through the book of Hebrews. I've been operated on several times. I don't like it. But I'm glad that they used a fine cutting tool when they did it because I healed rather quickly. Amen? And, and God wants us. It, here's what the Bible does. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It divides between the soul and the spirit. By the way, if you're saved today, you have a spirit. Does that spirit belong to you? No, it's the Holy Spirit of God living in you, amen? And if you're not careful, you will interpose over top of that Holy Spirit things that you want. This book called the Bible, slice that line and lay it open. Get the things of God on one side and the things of your soul on the other. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We've said it many times. If no one will believe your lies, you will. You will believe your own lies every time. And even if you know their lies, you'll still believe them. You know why? Because we don't like coming under that knife. We don't like being exposed for what and who we are. That's why the next verse says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I mean, every once in a while, We just don't see it. 
we just don't see what's going on in our own lives. We miss it. Sometimes we want to miss it. Sometimes we pretend we miss it. Sometimes we just don't see it at all. I mean, it just whacks us upside the head, and we have no idea where it came from or what was going on. It's because we're stupid, all right? We're just human beings. But Jesus can see everything. And if we'll submit ourselves to him, he'll do the work. He'll make us perfect unto every good work to do his will. That he can accomplish in us what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be honor and glory forever. I didn't get all the words quite right, but pretty close. And all God's people said, Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And we ask, Lord, we've, we've set some pretty high goals for this study of the Scripture. And, Lord, we believe those goals are high for a purpose and a reason because there's just so much in this book that you want us to have. And, Lord, we ask that you would help us as a church to covenant together to suffer the word of exhortation to let you make us perfect in every good work to do as well. Lord, we want you to work in us what is well-pleasing in your sight. Lord, we want the power of this word applied to our life and our sin exposed and our guilt brought before a holy God. Lord, we're so thankful that we do not have to do as the world does and expose our sin one to another. So much of that would be just tempting each other to sin. Lord, we ask that you would do that work in a holy way that only you would get honor and glory. And Lord, that you would bless this church and make us more what you want us to be. We ask you to work that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. And tonight, we're not going to sing a song. Just have Julia play a verse or two of a hymn.